0: It's the Auburn Observer Podcast, the whatever edition. This is a free episode. You're all listening to this. We hope you'd be a subscriber to the Auburn Observer, but if you're not, welcome aboard anyway. Justin Ferguson here in Auburn, Alabama. Painter Sharpless checking in from Parts Unknown. Hello, Painter. Hello, hello. Peter, we got a ton to talk about. Uh, NCAA Tournament's here. We know Auburn's draw. We know where they're headed. We're going to talk a lot about that. Also, spring football back uh, on Monday. Got a lot to discuss from there. Subscribe to The Observer if you want to read all the stuff that we've been doing here recently uh, on f- football and basketball. We'll have plenty of it here this week. Busy time. $40 for your first year if you're not a subscriber yet. There are links in the description. You can go to auburnobserver.com if you want to uh, help us out there as well. Also, at the top, give us five stars on Apple Podcast. Write a nice little review. It helps us out a ton. All right, let's d- dive in. Painter, after all that, after everything we saw this season for Auburn basketball, after all of the, oh uh, well, you know it would have been nice for Auburn to get to play in Birmingham, but they're probably not going to be good enough to to you know get into that spot. They're not they're not a top four seed. Yeah, it's not where it's going to be fed to. Lo and behold, Selection Sunday comes and goes, and the Tigers are the nine seed in Birmingham, opposite Iowa. The other side of that uh, that little quadrant is. Uh, Houston and Northern Kentucky; those games are on Thursday, Thursday evening. Alabama will play their 16 seed game uh, on Thursday earlier in the day. Maryland, West Virginia, on the other side of the bracket there with them. So, I wrote about it on Monday, uh, but to kind of kind of reiterate something we've talked about, Painter, this team has not caught a break all year. Talk about them being snake bitten. Now, the losses they've had, you know, there's a lot of stuff that's happened to Auburn this season in the results that are, you know. You can't blame it all on bad luck, but there has been a good bit of not so good luck. Some of the lucky bounces, maybe some of the fortunate breaks that you may get from from, you know, from an on-court and off-court perspective. And I think off-court obviously with um you know, with the situation with Chance Westry, you know, not being fully healthy this year, that I think was kind of the first of a string of them this season for Auburn where it just kind of went against them. They hadn't really caught a break um whenever there's been an opportunity for them to play a really tough game or have the schedule stack up on them at a wrong spot or draw a team like Arkansas in the SEC tournament they've done it they finally catch a break because Auburn is heading to Birmingham and uh man i mean it just feels like the basketball gods kind of owed them this one uh the fact that Auburn's just going to make the quick trip up to uh up to Birmingham on on uh you know they'll they'll leave on Tuesday but this week the first weekend of the NCAA tournament, right in their own backyard, so to speak.
1: Yeah, seemingly a favorable matchup, both uh, the location and uh, the way the teams play and the strengths of the teams.
0: Here's the big question, though. You know, I think it's the it's the it's the most defining debate of Auburn having to play in in Birmingham, and I want your take on this, Painter. All right, you ready? 280 versus eighty five sixty five. What's What's the way to get to Birmingham? What's the best way? What is your preferred way?
1: I take 280. I know what your answer is. Part of the reason I take 280 is because of the side of town that I grew up on. Also, yeah. I understand why people want to avoid the speed traps and the periodic slowing down. But I, I like being able to set my cruise control on... Somewhere between probably sixty nine and seventy two, nice, and just and just riding it out.
0: Yeah, I mean, I am on the side of town where you just jump on eighty five and go to Montgomery and, and go up that way. Um, so because of that, whenever I go to eighty, I'm like, I always hate it because I don't do it as often anymore. Uh, but I will say, two eighty is not terrible. I think sometimes you can get a bad a bad rap. You you know, there's some. Nice little towns you get to drive through. You get to go over the lake. You it's know, a good it's a good good view from from time to time on the bridge. But uh, the thing with with this game being in Birmingham for Auburn is that all of a sudden you've got a bunch of people who can make it to the game. I mean, Birmingham is a big area for Auburn fans, obviously. Um, but it's very close to your – I mean, it's close not only to Auburn but it's close to a lot a lot of main hubs of your alumni and your, and your fan base. So Auburn should have a pretty good, you know, home court advantage on Thursday against Iowa. However, I would like to apologize, uh, to, to Charles Barkley in advance. Um, Pablo pointing this out on Twitter today, um, saying, (laughs) uh, the, the, the tweet was something along the lines of, uh, here we go. Let me find it here. Uh, it's from the Tuscaloosa News says Charles Barkley says Auburn and Alabama fans will, quote, be rooting for each other in March Madness. Don't think that's going to be happening. Don't don't really think that's going to be the, the thing. Um, those of you who have all session tickets or want all session tickets, guess what? Auburn fans are going to show up and cheer like heck for the sixteenth seed that Alabama faces. And, you know, if they win that game, which, you know, statistically, there it's almost impossible that they don't. They'll cheer for whoever comes out of that eight nine game on the other side, whether it's Maryland or, or West Virginia. Um, likewise, I would expect a lot of Alabama fans to be cheering hard for Iowa on Thursday evening. And uh, so, uh, I do think Charles Barkley, he's got some, you know, Chuck's got some of that like like future politician still to him, where it's just like I oh, just, you know, you know, playing 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 both sides of the fence. I think a little bit, or or at least trying to make the good folks of of Alabama seem. Uh, maybe we're cordial, more friendly than <laughs> sometimes we can be, but I, just, I do not think I do not think he is going to be correct in that at all. And that ought to make for a very interesting scene at Legacy Arena for the two sessions on Thursday.
1: So from my understanding, this is just what I've read in a few seconds online, so you can correct me if this information is not right. I was under the impression that Alabama did a good job or their fans did a good job of buying up a lot of those tickets. Mm -hmm. Which leads me to believe, one, this will get into the Kelvin Sampson comments where he was, you know, I guess to some degree annoyed that Auburn was going to be playing in what amounts to a home game of sorts. Um, But like, I, I don't know if it's going to be, I'll be curious to see just how many Auburn fans there are if it gets to that point where Auburn should play Houston, because I think there's going to be a lot of Alabama fans really pulling for Houston.
0: Yeah. They'll be pulling for Iowa too. Like it's, it's going to be, it's, it'll be a really tough. uh, I mean, again, I think Auburn will have more fans there, but obviously than Iowa, but like, I, I do think that there will not be a new, there will not be very many neutrals in Birmingham on, on, on Thursday. I think between the, between the teams that, that are that are there. Um it's gonna be a pretty clear dividing line, I think, uh, with Alabama and uh and you know, Auburn both being in the same spot. I did see that Nate Oates was talking about how tough their draw is for the number one overall seed and it's like, Yeah, I mean I get it. I think Auburn's probably the weaker of the eight nine games uh on the board. Um you know, maybe I don't know, does Alabama wish they could have played Either Memphis or Florida Atlantic, I wouldn't. I wouldn't want to play either of those teams. Um, compared to you know, Maryland, West Virginia, I know West Virginia can get hot. I know Maryland's a good team. Um, I do think though, Iowa Auburn is kind of the is the one that you want to. It's probably the weaker weakest in terms of the the level of teams of those eight nine matchups. But they're not. The committee's not going to give you a potential to have Auburn Alabama in a rematch in the first weekend. So that's that's just not going to happen. Uh, and then Arkansas Illinois eight nine game. So I mean, they kind of. I got with they drew and i would i would wonder though like if Oates would rather see memphis or florida atlantic because i would not uh, especially with the way fau's playing right now um so yeah let's get into it the game itself auburn drawing iowa like you said painter like the actual draw they got not only being in birmingham i think was a favor it was also a favor from the committee and who they drew now i'm going to say all this to say this from the top i was a good basketball team they're an 8th seed. They're not bad by any by any means. This is no disrespect to them. But when you look at a bracket and see what you could have gotten and what what you could have faced, playing Iowa in in uh, in Birmingham of the eight seeds, Iowa is the weakest of the eight seeds. On top of that, and this is by net, Ken Palm, you know whatever you want to look at. On top of that, um, several other teams uh in, in in the mix uh let's see that would be number nine west virginia number 10 utah state number nine fau number 10 boise state number nine illinois and number 10 usc obviously auburn's played a handful of them already all are rated higher than the hawkeyes so not only are they the, the weakest on paper of the eight seeds there are several nine and ten seeds that are projected to be a better team than iowa is so I was going to have some real talent. We'll talk about that. We will talk about all the strengths that they have because they have a ton of them. But let's not kid ourselves. This could have been a whole lot worse for Auburn. This could have been a whole lot tougher. Um, You could have drawn some teams. Any of those eights uh, would have been a tougher matchup. And like I said, some of the nines and tens would have been as well on paper. And that should, you know, again, it's the thing It's like with the basketball gods maybe smiling upon Auburn after what has been a really tough season for them with a lot of adversity, a lot of headaches, a lot of frustrations. It could have been a whole lot worse. And, and I do think there were some Auburn fans kind of bracing for the worst on Selection Sunday, just saying, okay, well, you know, uh, of course you, you you get Arkansas as a 10 seed. How crazy is that in, in the SEC tournament? What, what's next? You know, somehow somehow Duke stays at a spot where, where Auburn has to play him or something like that. Instead, though, they get a matchup where um, the last time I checked, Auburn is still – a the betting favorite in, in Vegas, maybe by a little bit. I think they open at one, one and a half at the Circa. Um, some others had them at a, as a pick-em. Ken Palm uh, and places like T-Rank and others have Auburn one two-point favorite in this game. Could have been a whole lot worse. Could have been a whole
1: lot worse for Auburn. I don't really blame Auburn fans for being surprised that this one went their way. Now, I will say a, a bit of comedy would be getting this Seemingly good draw, and then you know, more or less just losing in front of your fans to Iowa in the first round, which, as you say, not impossible. Last it's I checked, yeah, you know, you're a one point favorite. So basically, it kind of feels yeah. like to me like Vegas is like, I don't know, either of these teams could win, and one of them's closer to the place that it's being played at.
0: Right, and I think Auburn is the more balanced team, and that's what we're going to talk about here with this. You can't talk about the Iowa Hawkeyes without talking about how dadgum good they are on the offensive side of the floor. They are awesome. Uh, If you remember the game when Auburn played played Kentucky, and if you're an Auburn fan you're probably trying to forget most of those days, but back Saturday, February 25th, um, before Auburn tipped against Kentucky, Iowa had this insane run in the final minutes where they erased a crazy deficit, scored like a billion points in the final two minutes of the game, kept hitting threes after three after three, ended up beating Michigan State in overtime 112-106. to 106. And objectively Just the weirder
1: th- thing that happened there was their coach staring down the ref, not the incredible yep. comeback.
0: Fran McCaffrey, he'll be a, he'll, he'll be a, you'll, you'll get to see a lot of him uh, in, the, in these next few days for sure. Bruce Pro, by the way, a ton of respect for the Iowa program. Fran McCaffrey, a guy uh, who I believe McCaffrey started uh, his coaching tenure. He was at UNC Greensboro, and he was at Siena. He's been at Iowa since the 2010-2011 uh, season. Historically, I mean, just his first season at uh, at Iowa, he had a team that was on Kempom ranked 161 on offense. Ever since then, they've all been top 50. Some have been top 30. Each of the last four offenses he's had are all top five in the country. This one currently number three in the country. Uh, McCaffrey's good at just drawing things up on on offense. He is a great ta- tactical guy. Um, as Bruce Pearl said when I asked him on, on Monday about the, about what makes McCaffrey so good, he said he just gives his dudes confidence to go out there and run, run good stuff. Uh, they don't turn the ball over very often. They play insanely fast. Uh, one of the fastest teams in college basketball in terms of pace. They don't turn it over. They take a lot of shots before they turn it over uh, when they do – not a team that necessarily lights it up. I mean, ninetieth on two-point field goal percentage, one hundred sixty-fourth and, and three-point field goal percentage. But when you get good offensive rebounds like they do, sixty-six in the country in offensive rebounding rate, you don't turn the ball over and you play fast. You're gonna you're gonna get a lot of. I mean, you're gonna get a lot of volume. And when you have a lot of volume, you can make up for the fact that you might not be the most terrifying accuracy. Uh, you know, shooting percentage numbers. Uh, but they hit you with a lot of volume, and they're really good at it. Like I said, number three in the country in offense. They are dangerous. Looking at some of the games they've had this season. Scored 112 on Michigan State, 90 on the road at Indiana, which is the last time they won, um, 93 on Rutgers, who almost made the tournament, 86 on a Northwestern team um, that obviously had one of the best defenses in the country, 93 on Michigan 91 on Indiana again. Um they have they had some big numbers early in the season in non-conference play as well. Now, there are some teams that have been able to slow them down, figure them out. Michigan State, Wisconsin have have held them to low low marks. Nebraska, they didn't really light it up against uh against um Ohio State in the Big 10 tournament either. But um they're good. They are really really good on offense. They're going to be on paper one of the best offenses Auburn has faced, not only this season but in the last few seasons. Uh and uh they're tall, they're experienced, a lot of brought a lot of dudes back from last season. Not super deep on the bench, but they lean on their guys that they like. Um Bruce Pearl saying on Monday reminds them a lot of Missouri and some of the ways they attack on offense, but also Arkansas in terms of the length that they have. They're starting five, six three, six four, six six, six eight, six nine. So not a ultra dominant post player. Uh, but the guys they do have down low are really good Chris Murray his brother uh his twin brother uh to be exact Keegan Murray uh was the number 4 overall pick in the in the NBA draft last year with the uh with the Sacramento Kings uh their big man uh Filip Rebra- Rebracha um 6'9 230 um really good mid-range and around the basket scorer um, Murray doesn't turn the ball over. He he he's really efficient. Both those guys are really efficient on their twos. They spread, you know, they can hit face-up jumpers. Um, Murray can stretch the floor for them. They've got several guys. They got two co- literal coaches' kids in Connor McCaffrey and Patrick McCaffrey on the floor for them at all times. Um, you know, at almost all times. So I mean, this is a team that knows what they're doing on offense and run it really, really well. For Auburn, it's gonna be the case of. Can they draw up ways to slow down this team? I mean, this is a defense classic defense versus offense matchup. Pearl noting earlier uh, on Monday, Iowa State is probably the closest team that Iowa's played this year. That um, in terms of defensive identity, they hung seventy-five on Iowa State and beat them by nineteen uh, in that uh, in that cross conference, you know, in-state rivalry that they have. So Auburn's going to have to get creative on that end of the floor. Um, you look at the best offenses Auburn has played this season. They beat Missouri, but lost to the next one, two, three, four, five, six, the next six offenses in, in efficiency that Auburn's played this year. Kentucky, West Virginia, Alabama, Vanderbilt, Memphis, Texas A&M all beat Auburn. And in some cases, Obama and A&M beat them twice. Um, So that's that's the thing for it is, like, you know we've seen Auburn beat a really good offense, and there's some other ones that they've been able to beat this year. You know Tennessee's not a terrible offense by any means. Arkansas too. St. Louis had a good offense this year, but this is this is the cream of the crop uh, when it comes to offense in college basketball. The only two teams that are better this season than Iowa on offense are Gonzaga and Baylor. So that ought to tell you just how the other team in the one in the one twenties in efficiency is Arizona. So that's a whole lot. That's, you know that's a, that's a whole lot to, to talk about when you're discussing this Iowa offense, um, it's just going to come down to like Auburn, you know, defense and rebounding. When you look at the comeback that Auburn made in the second half against Arkansas is they tightened up their defense, they figured some things out with their rim protection, and they rebounded the ball well. Iowa is going to be one of the ultimate tests at doing that. They're going to play a fast game. Um, so it will be very interesting to see if Auburn can play to their pace, this more methodical half court offense. And also, can they lean on a defense that has had to grit and grind their way through a lot of games this year and a lot of victories for Auburn? Um, so that's a whole lot, like I said, about that Iowa offense. But I mean, this is, this is about as tough of a matchup as you can get on that end of the floor because they're very efficient at what they do and they're very well drilled because a lot of them are experienced and they've got size and length. I think Nathan King pointed this out on Monday. It's something along the lines of like when Nebraska hits, sorry, not Nebraska. I'm looking at the Nebraska game. When Iowa hits eight or more threes this season, they've only lost twice. And when they're below that, they're almost all losses. Uh, they beat Clemson in a game where they didn't shoot well from deep. They beat Seton Hall in a game where they didn't shoot well from deep. Everything else, though, it is kind of like how Tennessee was earlier this year. There is that kind of dividing line because um, they're not, like I said, they're not a team that shoots. I mean, they're 164, they're middle of the pack, maybe a little bit on the higher end in the country in three-point percentage, but they take a lot of them, um, and they, or they play so fast that they do and they share the ball well, 30th in assist rate that they're going to get a lot of those opportunities. Meanwhile, Auburn on the other end, number 5 field uh three-point defense in the country was one of the best in the SEC. However, <laughs> I think you can also say Auburn was pretty good at defending the three-point line this year because they played in the SEC and weren't very I mean, there were a lot of teams that were throwing up bricks in, in 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 uh in the SEC this season in three-point field goal percentage. So, that's something to keep in mind um and also, uh, I think Henry Patton pointed out through synergy, or or buddy at Rivals said, a lot of lot of, they're most efficient at the rim. Jumpers, they're they're an okay team. Um, you know, can be very good at times when they when they get hot, um, and they do go on some kill shot runs. But it's going to be like inside out. Can you can you do a really good job of defending that rim and and go from there? On the flip side, I've talked all this about the offense. It's because Iowa's defense not very great not very good this season. The only positive thing I can say about Iowa's defense is that they don't foul a lot. Uh 12th in the country in, in opponent free throw rate. Meanwhile, Auburn is 331st. It's been a big difference maker this year. Part of the reason I don't think Iowa's very good or part of the reason I don't think Iowa fouls a lot of teams because they just don't really stop a lot of teams. They are 316th in the country in three-point field goal defense, 296 in two-point field goal defense. Uh, opponents also shot uh, pretty well from, from the line when they actually got there. They Teams take a lot of threes on them, but here's the here's the crazy thing. 57.5% of teams' offense is against Iowa came from two. That is 13th most in the country. Um, this Iowa team doesn't block many shots. They don't turn the ball over a lot. They want to press you, and they want to get in those spots, uh, but they are a team that... Since they play so fast, the other on the other end of the floor, you usually have teams slowed down, against them. they do play in the Big Ten. They work the ball, and if you can take care of it, they do a good job of scoring off of it. Um, in conference play this season, opponents shot over 40% from deep against Iowa. That is not a strength of their game at all. If you look at some of the numbers they've given up this season in defeat, 81 in Nebraska. Gave up 80 to Northwestern, 87 to Purdue, 93 to Ohio State, uh, 92 to Eastern Illinois. And what is that game? Now, by the way, that game, some people may point that out. Eastern Illinois beat Iowa 92-83 this year. That game, one of the McCaffreys and Chris Murray were both out of that one. Uh, and they didn't have much of a bench. That was the biggest point spread upset ever, I believe. Eastern Illinois was a 31.5 point dog and they won by nine. Um, but... Again, different situation. Eastern Illinois, though, got hot in that game. TCU scored 79. Wisconsin scored 78. Uh, Duke scored 74 on them. Um, There's been some high-scoring wins they've had. Indiana had 89. Michigan had 84. Um, I think there's another one I was pointing out. Michigan State 106 in overtime, obviously. This team gives up a lot. And so they're like Missouri in the fact that incredible offense, not incredible defense. The differences with Missouri – They've figured out this season that their best bet is just they're selling out for steals. They're st- they're selling out to rip you uh, and try to get you on the other end of the floor. Because um, I mean they they just don't have the size. They don't have the they don't have the the makeup to really hurt a lot of teams down low on the defensive side. Iowa's different in the fact that Iowa is a better rebounding team. Um, is better at um. You know, is better at kind of limiting some things with the amount of variety they use on the defensive end, but they don't turn you over as much. So, defensively, we talked about Iowa is going to be the best offense Auburn's played all year. Defensively, uh, Iowa—the only defenses worse than Iowa this season that Auburn has played—are Missouri, LSU, Texas Southern, South Carolina, Georgia State, Colgate, and Winthrop. That is adjusted efficiency. The only team that has given up more buckets this season than Auburn that they've played this year is Winthrop, who was 341 in effective field goal percentage. So it's susceptible if Auburn can get this offense going in the right direction. There is something to be said about them being able to, you know, they they should be able to attack, um, especially down low, especially if they slow it down and, like you said, take care of the ball. I do believe Iowa is going to look at Auburn and say, "All right, we got to find ways to get some turnovers." Uh, Bruce Pearl talked about, you know, kind of pressing and the and some of the situational zone stuff that they run. So, it, 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 to me, this is a matchup where, like, Auburn's going to have to play really, really well to slow down Iowa's offense. On the flip side, that defense is that defense from Iowa is going to be very susceptible if they're able to take care of the ball and just play clean. Um and the good news for Auburn is that you know, we can talk about how you know, we can talk about how things have gotten rough for them down the stretch of the season, but really since that Tennessee game, they've shot the ball well in everywhere except for Kentucky. And they've had, you know, 73 against Arkansas, 79 against Tennessee, 85 against Alabama, 74 uh, 78 against Ole Miss, uh, 89 against Missouri, you know, almost 70, you know, against Alabama, 78 on the road against Texas A&M. They're They've turned the corner on offense and they're playing much better ball on offense down the stretch of the season. So running running into a running into a susceptible defense while you are playing probably your best offensive ball of the year is a good sign. However, it's just, you know, this is a team that's going to be very wily on the on the defensive end and just trying to find ways to overcome the fact they're not. They're just not good on defense. They're very much like, again, they're Missouri that doesn't turn you over, and we will see if Auburn can take advantage of that. If Auburn is able to win, and we don't want to get too far over ourselves, but if Auburn's able to win, they would play Houston on the other side. Houston's going to be fascinating to watch here moving forward because Marcus Sasser did miss the, you know, got hurt in the AAC semifinal, did not play in the final against Memphis, and Memphis beat them. So I think his availability, if he plays, you know, on Thursday uh, and just kind of what that looks like will be key because Sasser, I mean, Houston's one of the best teams in the country for a reason. They've got a lot of dudes. They have a lot of talent, but Sasser is really the one that makes it all go. So, again, like we said, not the worst draw in the world for Auburn because of the one seeds, you would think Houston is probably the more the most upset pro just because Sasser's been hurt number two. Recently, I mean, they're they're coming from the weaker of the conferences in the American. Uh, Memphis is good, obviously, but not a ton of, like, super, super tough teams they've played this season outside of non-conference play early on. Obviously, they beat out, you know, lost to Alabama, and they played St. Mary's and some other really good teams. Oral Roberts, they smoked Oral Roberts uh, earlier this year. They're really, really good, but just keep that in mind. So, um, it's just, can Auburn take advantage of it? Can Auburn get into a situation where... You know, they uh they have a they have an opportunity to make it into uh the second round, you know, match what they did last season in the postseason. Uh and then again, like we we talked about, you know, potentially avoiding the one seeds in some of these matchups, um, you know, by maybe dropping to that seven ten game. Eight nine though, you know, it does look different with it being Houston than it is if you were playing, say a full-strength Purdue or, you know, a full-strength Kansas right now. Um, Obviously, we wouldn't be playing Alabama, but for Auburn, again, the whole point is they've shown down the stretch and they show with the way they played against Alabama and some of these other teams that they can compete and they can hang with anybody. It's just can you put it together? And I think one of the things that makes this this first-round game so interesting for Auburn is that there are different ways and different aspects where you can say Auburn's got a clear advantage here, and here, um, you know, they can they can take advantage of what they've got on on offense compared to their defense. And you can look at some of the size and some of the some of other things and how this could have been a much tougher game for Auburn, a tougher draw. You can say all that, but you can also look at it and say, hey, this team has had a, a bout of inconsistency for pretty much all year, and it's just like, all right, who shows up? Is it the team that started uh, first and second half against Houston uh, against Arkansas, sorry, or is it the team that finished both of those halves against? Arkansas and that team like the team that almost beat Alabama and, and Coleman when they were at full strength you know beat Tennessee in a must-win game with a comeback that team is capable of competing with anybody but will that team show up in Birmingham I think you got the best possible setting for you to try to try to make that jump forward if you are Auburn
1: It would be nice if that experience came through
0: Yeah, we we talked about that the other day because it was like, you know, last season Auburn gets bounced in the second round and one of the big things was the experience of the backcourt of um, the experience of the backcourt of Miami against the experience of the backcourt of Auburn was a really big difference maker in that game. I mean, uh, Miami also did a really good job of limiting uh, both Jabari Smith and Walker Kessler in that matchup. Um, Look, Wendell Green Jr., Sepp Jasper, Katie Johnson, you have been through the fire before. Uh, The same goes for Alan Flanagan and Jalen Williams. Jen Broom has played in the NCAA tournament before uh, at Moorhead State. Um, So, I mean, it's not completely brand new to him either. Last season, a lot of talk was like, okay, the experience of Auburn's guards and the experience in March, you know, that let him down. We'll see see how much that can kind of turn this year after another year Um, because this team... This team is fully capable of hanging, and this team is fully capable of making a run. But can they get over that hump and do it consistently? You know, is the main thing. um, You know, in the in in this tournament, and you look at Auburn's, you know, tournament history. um, They have only been knocked out of the first round once all time. That was the first year they made the tournament uh, back in the '84 season with uh, with Sonny Smith. That was the first of five straight for Auburn um they've at least won one almost every trip they've been to since the fir- or every trip they've been to since the first one, and the opportunity is there, and I think that was the other thing that Bruce Pearl talked a lot about when we talked to him on Sunday and Monday is like, hey, you've got an opportunity. This was not a year for Auburn where they were competitive for a conference championship regular season title. they just didn't have that this year um. And then they lost, you know, they weren't hot at the end of the season and they lost early in the in, in a tough matchup in the in the conference tournament. So if you're not competing for a championship this year and you didn't make a run in toward the end of the season, it all comes down to this, right? And we talked about it, like how last season, don't put too much stock into what happens in the NCAA tournament because winning a conference title over the course of a season, just like Alabama just did, just like Auburn did last season. That's a tougher thing to do than getting hot over a few weekends in the NCAA tournament. You just remember the NCAA tournament so much because of the stage and what it represents. And the, you know, obviously the, the championship stakes at hand. Auburn was not in that position this year. So now it's like, here you go. You got it. Here's, here's your opportunity. I mean, it all, all the junk Auburn's gone through this season, the highs, the lows, all the travel and good grief. Did they have a ton of travel this year? Uh, you know, the injuries, the 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 frustrations with the officiating or the, the, the way the scheduling worked and all that, and then just your own, for Auburn, which is the bulk of this, your own inconsistent play, your own shortcomings in games against quality opponents, all, after all that, you still got as good a chance as anybody to get hot right here. And this draw could have been a whole lot worse for you, so are you going to be able to take advantage of that opportunity it's going to be the million-dollar question. You know, I don't think if Auburn wins if Auburn wins against Iowa, I don't think people are looking at this season as, like, this massive success. But if you go on a run, it can be something that people will look back at and say, hey, even in that quote-unquote down year for Auburn, you made the NCAA tournament and you made some noise. This is all you got left, and whatever happened beforehand – you know, if you're not winning a championship, it all comes down to what you do this weekend and potentially the next couple of weekends. But it's 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 gonna take a lot.
1: I think that last bit you said is certainly uh true. I, I think it's long been our stand, at least since we've done the radio show together. Basically make it to the second weekend, you've had a good tournament run, right? Like if you once you're in that Sweet Sixteen territory you know, you're, you're doing something right, even in a season, as you mentioned, that has been filled with lots of things that were, as you just put it, frustrating. And, and um, I don't know, uh, it feels like you've got these experienced players where I'd like to think that that is going to matter for Auburn. Um, but then the other thing you just mentioned is that even with that experience, the, one of the things that this team has been is – inconsistent so i don't know i'm torn on what to make of the experience because you can absolutely convince yourself that they could come out play well that the moment won't be too big for them um you can also just kind of like i wouldn't be surprised if they just didn't play well and against a tournament team you you know you're Mm -hmm. gonna run into a problem just about everybody in the tournament's very good or at least very competent
0: yeah and then and then nevada also made it um yeah, you know, sorry. For that. <laughs> um, no, I the thing with the thing with this is, I think what you just said right there was 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 key as well. Like the experience could matter, and I don't think the moment's going to be too big for them because they've been through it. I mean, most of these guys, you know, pretty much everybody who's been in this in this rotation for Auburn has been in that moment before and will be you know be be ready. You know, the, the the stage won't get too big for them. Lord knows the However, ones that
1: haven't been in that yet have played in plenty of... or been a part of close games this season.
0: Right. However, I think what you also said is true that They might just not play well, right? And I, again, I also think there's a scenario where you play a good team, you play a good game, and you still lose because I was good, right? They're in it for a reason. Um, but yeah, it's just... What Auburn shows up, I think that's the thing that makes them so weird and so potentially dangerous if they get hot, uh, or you know could be going out in the first round. Is the fact that like we have at this at 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 its peak, we have seen this team hang with the best of the best in college basketball, and we have seen this team be able to play some put some pretty good ball together. We've also seen this team come up short again and again and again against quality opponents. And it's like, all right, either you overcome those those falls, you may get the ball to bounce your way maybe a couple of times, you may get a couple of breaks, or you just find that find that little bit at the most important part of the year to get you over the hump. Now that's the thing about this team is that they lost so many close games. Yeah, they lost nine of their last 13. They're a top-30 team. In Kempom, they're, they're higher than Indiana, and that's a four-seed. <laughs> Like, that ought to tell you, like, who they played and how they played against them. It's still a fine team. Wins and losses matter the most, though, especially, you know, you're now in a win-or-go-home situation. Um, But, yeah, between that and the way this team scheduled this year, they did themselves a ton of favors. Because I think the universe is pointing towards them probably being, oh, they're they're falling down the stretch. That loss to Arkansas hurt. Ah, this is probably a 10-seat. Nope, they're a 9 they're a nine seed in this, and you know they're not the lowest. They're not the lowest seeded nine on the board, I don't think. Um, I'm pretty sure they're not. And so, yeah, for Auburn, you know, you did a lot of the stuff you needed to do just to get to that point. Now that you've, now that you've gotten to that point, are you going to be able to kind of turn it loose? Before we move on, Mike Burgermaster, take a bow. Sir, you did a great job this year. You and Bruce Pearl, obviously, with the uh, with the schedule, uh, tweeted this on 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 Sunday, but not everybody's on Twitter. Um, Auburn smashed a record for the most opponents they've played that made the NCAA tournament in a given season. Um, three years ago, or t- I'm sorry, two years ago, they played ten, and that was the record. Um, that they had. They didn't make the tournament that year, but that was 10. This year they played 13. Seven teams, seven other teams in the SEC made the tournament, and then six others that played in non-conference made it. Memphis, West Virginia, Northwestern, USC, Colgate, and Texas Southern. That also broke a record. Um, no, Auburn, unlike, you know, I think Alabama's a perfect example because that's the one everybody points to. 100% correct. Alabama had a tougher non-conference schedule this year. Um, they played Gonzaga and they played um, you know they played who all did they play? They played a they played a really really tough uh, non conference schedule. Yukon, um, Houston, Gonzaga. That's true. Alabama did play that. But Auburns wasn't bad in the very least because you looked at the number of teams who got in. Colgate came close to getting in. I'm sorry Bradley came co- close to getting in Colgate did. Bradley came close to getting in. Uh, St Louis had a solid season as well. Could have been. I mean, they, they figured out the system, and we talked about it this year. The fact they didn't play for as many quad four games, and it's those, those quad two, quad three games that they were kind of stack up. Northwestern ended up being better than expected. Uh, Bradley, you know, a, a good team as well. That, that got, kept them away from the bubble, and they were not in danger of falling out of this tournament after they beat Tennessee or even coming close to it because – even when you stack them up to everybody else, it's like those those metrics still like the fact that, hey, this team didn't play a terrible schedule, and they also played uh, they played it pretty tightly. Um, this is going to go down as one of the tougher schedules Auburn's ever played, just because of the amount of quality of teams they did play. Uh, top 70 strength of schedule. Um, you know, other teams, I mean, obviously, like Alabama had a really high one. Everybody who's in the Big 12 had a really tough schedule this year. Uh, but Bruce Pearl pointing out, on Tuesday, that Auburn played the the fourth most, I think it was, or yeah, it was the fourth most teams against, um, or games against teams in the NCAA tournament field. And Kansas, Texas, and Baylor, who played in the Big 12, and, and that was just a chaos, a chaos factory this season, those were the only ones who played more. Um, so yes, some of them were smaller conference teams, but it ended up mattering for Auburn uh, in the long run. So that's just a long winding rambling way of saying, um, this staff knows what they're doing (laughs) when it comes to scheduling. And I think they, they figured out how to play the system and the numbers and the metrics better than a lot of other teams did. And, uh, yeah, they played a tough schedule. Um, Sorry if that wasn't enough for the hot tech artists to cover na- college basketball nationally, but I mean this the, the, that is what got Auburn to this point on top of the fact that the SEC, while not being at the peak this season of their powers, had a lot of pretty good teams. I mean, they got eight
1: in the tournament, and that tied a record, I believe. Man, it'd be so sick if they won two games. I spent eight weeks, almost eight weeks, Genuinely meaning that I wasn't gonna get worked up over this, but you know, but it's here, it's here. I don't know. Like, there's something about the draw and the last few games of the year. Boy, it would you know, after the way everything has gone, if you wound up winning two games, what a, it would just totally change. I think the way we remember the season. A hundred percent, a hundred percent. I I agree. You you get to the second
0: weekend. People talk about this team a lot differently than they did, you know, just a few days ago. And
1: I think what's maddening is like it's it's very plausible, right? Just because the tournament – I mean, baseline, the tournament is a wild thing and sometimes teams just get hot. But also because at its peak, even though we haven't seen that version of Auburn very often this year, it's a team that's capable of beating Iowa. It hung with Alabama, I, you know. Whether that means if it beats Iowa that it's going to be able to look competent for 40 minutes against Houston, I don't know. But the idea that it could is believable.
0: I, I, I agree. I agree. It is, it is believable. It's just we know what this team is capable of at their peak. Can they get to their peak? Can they get it early against an Iowa team that gets super hot on offense at times? And secondly, can they take advantage of the fact that they're just right down the road? And that they're that they're playing a game against an like this matchup could have been a lot tougher on paper. So, what you got? You know, this is a this is a chance for. I mean, you look at some of these guys. Some of these guys aren't going to be back next year. Um, in terms of those those who are graduating and, and moving on. Like, this is kind of a this is kind of a you know kind of a legacy that you can kind of put up. You know, what did you do? Um, and what did your team do? What were they capable of? Uh, when they didn't have walker kessler and jabari smith you know or you fought through all this stuff you think about a guy like alan flang and Jalen williams and some of these guys all that they've gotten through to get to this point it it could you know the tone and the tenor and i hate doing the legacy kind of junk a lot in terms of like because i think that's like a it's just a buzzword that a lot of people use to like you know go on espn but i do think in this sense it does make so like like you said, like I think I think fans will think differently about this team and and about this run, depending on what they do over the, over the weekend, right? And if they beat Iowa and lose to Houston, I do think that that thing bumps up. But I think I beating Iowa is a good way to just be like, hey, can you just get back to that point? And look, Auburn's in. This is only the twelfth time Auburn's made the NCAA tournament, and for a long time. Having a season like this would have been parade worthy <laughs> for Auburn, and I think it's a sign to show you how much the the program has grown, and you're going in the right direction. Obviously, if you want to compete with the best of the best, you got to continue to grow, and you can't just look back all the time. But they are like most of our most of our childhoods, and 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 going into it was a know, laughing
1: matter. Yeah, they were like they were terrible and something that I remember as a little kid I've said this more than once like going to games it was still fun because I was with my dad and I was little and and all of it seemed very grand as you get older it's like man I I'm you know 14 16 18 years old and they haven't been to the tournament in a decade or whatever it would have been as 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 frustrating
0: as times have been this season for Auburn fans and I get it I, I 100% understand like, it's just like, how many times did you ever go into a season during this stretch? was like, oh, I'm sure basketball season will be fun this year. It's like, no, you just probably tried to, like, wring out as much excitement as you could out of it. But you knew in the end, Steam wasn't going very, very far. And I but yet they're
1: here. I don't know how much it does or doesn't matter. But I, I follow you on the legacy thing, especially, I think, as it pertains to Jalen and Allen, two guys who have had moments that, you know, on top of the fact they were part of a championship winning team last year. The way that I think those two are perceived is especially different. Should they, say, win two games in this tournament? It's just two games, but also, like, it's weird how those two games, I think, would would change a lot about the flavor of, of this entire season.
0: We will have a podcast. So Friends of the programs back on Wednesday, right? Yes, Friends of the Program will be recording. They will be out on Wednesday. They'll talk NCAA tournament, obviously. So that will be out on Wednesday morning for subscribers. If you're not a subscriber and you want to listen to Dave, Pablo, and Painter talk about the tournament and more, AuburnObserver.com, sign up. It's $40 for your first year if you're a new subscriber. It's the cheapest deal we've give, given. You're locked in for a year. Everything we do, newsletter-wise on my side, podcast-wise, uh, from everything we've got going on with all the all the cast of characters we use on here, they will go straight in your email inbox. You get it all uh, just for that $40. Um, speaking of that, I will say this is a great time also to get in our NCAA tournament challenge. Um, we're doing the same thing as we did in years past. If you win the grand prize, we'll get a free observer subscription for life. You are comped, you are in, as long as this thing is running, you won't have to pay another dime for it. Um, that's, that's our, that's, that's the grand prize. We'll also give out some stuff from home Field um you know gift cards maybe a shirt or two uh it, uh, for
1: other people who do well in, in the contest so um friend of the program josh Vitale thinks none of y'all have to worry about winning yeah he's he, he says he's got it locked up so
0: second place compete. is what
1: you're gunning for apparently
0: probably probably what you're going to be gunning for at that at that point if josh has his way um but yeah, you can sign up. Uh, I'll put a link here or a button. I'll put both in the uh, in the in the description or in the email that, that you're getting, so you can sign up uh, and get those picks in by Wednesday night or Thursday. I think Thursday morning for the game's tip off. Uh, one one bracket per person, and we will see who the best of the best is with that. Uh, speaking of home field, homefieldapparel.com. Our friends at Home Field they're going nuts right now with March Madness. Um, They're doing a subscription T-shirt thing that I signed up for uh, that I'm excited about. I think they're already closed by now, so um, I'm not going to read an ad for that. But you want some Auburn basketball stuff. You want some uh, other great Auburn uh, apparel. And you can get the Auburn Observer T-shirt at homefieldapparel.com. 15% off your first order if you use the promo code Observer when checking out. Uh, Before we move on to football painter general bracket thoughts not pertaining to auburn you got anything on your mind? i'm still piecing together my bracket i'm a, I'm a big believer in one bracket we're just gonna go one bracket and that's that's what i'm sticking really with.
1: ride with it yeah it makes it a lot of fun the stakes feel higher that way i'm with you i have not finished my bracket i actually started it two different times earlier today and then got sidetracked i think i x'd out of it so I'm just going to have to, I guess, do it again, although I didn't really get that far is what I'm trying to say. So um, I am certainly feeling like the Matrix is riding Alabama hard.
0: Yeah, this that's what it
1: feels like.
0: I mean, I would love to see what if, if they cross – like that half of the bracket – that Alabama's on. They get Maryland and West Virginia. Look, if if West Virginia gets hot with Eric Stevenson, they can beat anybody. Charleston and Furman and the 12 and the 13 line are so dangerous as as underdogs, um as double digit seeds to San Diego State and Virginia respectively. That like I wouldn't be surprised to see some chaos there, but then that would make Alabama's path theoretically easier to get to the Elite 8 and the Final 4 and all that. Um later on down that bracket, I Baylor? Like when Baylor's on, they're really on. You know, second best offense in the country. Their guard plays really, really good, but I did watch their guards have a really tough time the other day against Iowa State in the uh in the, in the tournament. You don't want to like look at that one thing and say, Oh, that's how the you know, that's how this whole thing's gonna be. But Iowa State gave them the blues down the stretch of the season, so maybe there's some of that to it. Um that's yeah, I I, I get that. I, I get where you're coming from there. Um, I really like Marquette. They,
1: I love uh, that. Yeah, they have. I think I love have this Marquette team here. With the people have sort of, I, I maybe people were paying more attention to them than I realized. But I feel like over this yeah. past weekend, people were like, "Shaka Smart's doing what?"
0: Yeah, I mean they are really really good. Got a two seed, very well deserved. I love that Marquette team out of the East. I, again, I've I've said it. Yeah, I said it during the last few weeks. I don't think anybody wants to play Duke. I wouldn't be surprised at all if Duke. I wouldn't be surprised at all if we look up and see Duke in the final four. Like the I way they're playing. Check
1: this, but someone told me that they've missed some players this year, and that when mm-hmm. the team has been healthy, they have a very nice record. Yeah. Is that the case? I believe so. Um,
0: I think they they were missing a couple of guys. I think when they got smacked by Miami and then they lost to Virginia in overtime in Charlottesville, and then they won six straight to close the regular season. They swept the ACC tournament without much of an issue. Oral Roberts is really good on offense. Don't they have, like,
1: a big man that can shoot threes?
0: Uh, Oral Roberts, uh, this Oral Roberts has won 17 straight. Um, They've got a, uh, yeah, they've, well, they've got the. You remember the big dude from Arkansas, the seven-five guy yeah. that was at Arkansas yeah. on their bench. He's at Oral Roberts now, um, so he's their. He's their stretchy guy. They're they're good, um, obviously, but like it would be kind of crazy because I feel like if Duke, I feel like Duke gets set up to kind of just go. Like, no disrespect to the Tennessee Volunteers, but like without Zach Ziggler, that team just does not look like they are. I'm not saying hey, Louisiana is going to beat them, but Duke. Duke Purdue in the Elite Eight potentially would be a blast, uh, but man, Oral Roberts will give you some trouble. Um, and then uh, let's see, Kentucky. I don't. I don't think it, it, when Kentucky's rolling, I don't think anybody wants any part of them. You know, they're they're Kentucky's good is as good as pretty much anybody's. I think they're probably mad about drawing Providence, though. That's not a it's not an easy eleven. Um, Midwest region, obviously the one Auburn's in. We've talked about Houston and Northern Kentucky and Iowa, Auburn. Uh, elsewhere on that bracket, there a lot of people like Indiana this year, and I get it. I think the metrics aren't super good for Indiana. They do have an awesome player, um, you know that they that they've been able to lean on this season in uh, in Trace Jackson Davis. But Kent State, I don't know how many of y'all out there who've watched Kent State. I watched them a decent bit in the MAC tournament, and I saw them randomly a couple times this year. I love that Kent State team, man. They are fun. I mean, there there are a few underdogs like Cinderellas in this in this uh, in this tournament that I really like. So of course I'll pick them, and they'll lose immediately. But love that Kent State team. Iowa State's so weird that whoever comes out of that Mississippi State pit game is going to be interesting. Uh, shout out to Kennesaw State. If there's if there's a three fourteen that I would love to see happen, the uh, Montana State being Kansas State would be fun too. Kennesaw State in their first NCAA tournament, just coming up and running up on Xavier would be fun. Uh we have a potential of Texas A&M playing Texas in the second round. Um, that'll be a lot of fun to see. And then finally in the West, um, look, I'm a homer. I get it. I understand it. I think Gonzaga set up really well um they're playing they're playing good ball right now i like that half of the bracket i think i like their chances against ucla and then it just comes down to what they can do against kansas if that's how as, as far as it goes uconn is a scary team just because of how nasty they are on the boards um i'm looking forward to it It should be a really really fun tournament we say that every year but i, I really the fact there is not an ultra dominant like alabama is the ultra dominant team and we have seen that they are prone to slip-ups that's what I think this is just going to make it for a, for a super fun match. Like, even defending national champion Kansas, I'm like, eh, not really. Like, I'm not as high on them as, as others are, but looking forward to it. Like I said, sign up for our bracket challenge and enter to win that competition. Uh, like we said earlier, you can help us out by giving us uh, five stars on Apple. You can give us five stars on Spotify as well, oh. right, Painter? We also have a what, – what did you tell me today? We were talking about our – we have I a listener from where? I
1: had not looked at some of the uh, metrics in a little bit, and so I was looking at them, and uh, I was always, always surprised at how little Spotify is used, at least it seems that's they are. So much of it is through Apple Podcasts or you're just listening through the browser. Yeah, and Apple runs everything when it comes to podcasts. They kind of invented the whole thing. I, know, I guess I'm a weirdo. I actually listen to some podcasts on Spotify and some on Apple, but it's, like, podcasts that are also on Apple, so I could just all listen to them in one place. Yeah, I way listen way to mine like, on Spotify. The way it's set up, there's certain podcasts that just are always on my home screen, and, like, one of them, for instance, plays Monday, Wednesday, Friday.
0: We need to figure out how to get the free podcast on YouTube because there have mm. been a few people who have been on it. We and we talked about that like a year ago yeah, yeah, and no. never did it. Yeah. We're we're hoping we're hoping that our po- I'll say this after basketball season, after spring football, we are we are looking to we're looking to bulk up our podcasting game uh with some things we've got in the works. And so I think one of the things we need to add to that list is trying to figure out, because I know there are a few of you that have talked about listening on YouTube, which I think is chaotic, but uh, as people have told me, it's really good. Like Especially those of you who are in an office or something like that, you just put it in a tab and let it rock. Um, I'm a guy who listens to Spotify for all of his free podcasts, and then Apple or all the ones I have all, that are paywalled. Um, so that is kind of annoying, I guess I hadn't but, thought
1: about it. That is pretty true of a lot of how... How it's set up for me as well but either way keep listening i don't really care where you listen from just, just to be clear it. it was just it always surprises me how few of y'all use spotify but we don't care how you listen
0: we've got two new reviews to read banner
1: it's been a
0: while since we've had one uh this one was sent right after it looks like the tennessee win um so it's from ccs Says, super way to relive the joy of a win and share the pain of defeat. Talking about the week that was for Auburn basketball. Let's go dancing. Thank you for the review. And then Babs2001 says, it's the best discussions about Auburn football and basketball. Always enjoy the guys' in depth and nuanced conversations. Very kind for both of you. Thank you very, very much. You can give us five stars and write a review on Apple, and we will. We'll read it on the air because we're vain people, but we also like shouting you out uh, on top of it. All right, Painter, let's talk some football before we go. If you're reading this, or sorry, you're not reading this. This is a podcast, you idiot. If you're listening to this um, on Tuesday morning, Thursday, or sorry, Monday evening. I am so bad at this. Monday evening, um, I put up observations from uh, week two of uh, spring practice. As I said in the intro, Hugh Freeze in a giving mood on Monday, coming back from spring break. Um, he, all the coaches were off, all the players were off. Um, it was a well well timed break for for those guys uh, because they have not had you know for the coaches they hadn't had anything since they've been hired. He came back. Guess who's in a good mood? Talked to us before um, before practice and said, "Hey, y'all, just come on out early." and so we went out there for pretty much the entire first hour. We were supposed to just get about 20 minutes. We got a whole hour of practice uh, for the most part. Some stretching in there, but a lot of, it of got walkthroughs. We looked at first, second, and third team offense and defense for the first time. Got some pace drills, got some indie drills, got some special teams work. So there's a lot going on to talk about there. I want to focus, though – I want to focus our conversation on – um. I want to focus our conversation first and foremost on the offensive line. Uh, because the offensive line, I think we're in a situation with Auburn up front that you feel like three starters are pretty much set in stone. And, again, it's early. Um, and you got to build up depth and all that. But the three FBS transfers, Dylan Wade, Avery Jones, and Gunnar Britton, have been first team pretty much every time we've seen or heard about them. Wade at left tackle, Britton at right tackle, Jones at center. The guard spots are where things get interesting. So Jeremiah Wright has been in a non-contact jersey, which I'm not breaking any rules by saying that because I think Auburn's posted photos of him photographed in that. Um, did more like a practice on Monday than we saw him in a couple weeks ago. He's at left guard. We also saw, we also saw uh, Isavion Miller Play some guard, the big the big tackle. He played he played some left guard with the first team in a walk through. Also played right tackle um, with the second team unit. Interesting there. We did talk about the possibility of one of those big tackles maybe kicking inside if Auburn feels pretty set at what they have up front. Miller, A.K.A. Too Tall, um, is a guy that obviously the staff really likes. Hugh Freeze talks about him a lot. Jake Thornton was really really high on him getting him from Old Miss and then flipping him to Auburn um or getting him trying to get him to Old Miss and then ended up flipping him to Auburn when he made the move. So that'll be interesting to see. Jeremiah Wright, obviously a guy that a lot of people like at that guard spot. And then on the right side, we saw Tate Johnson and Cam Stutz uh, both work with the first team at right guard. Here's the thing about um here's the thing about Tate Johnson. So Johnson gets thrown into the fire last year at center, as you may recall. Nick Brahms um retires early. He uh Tay Johnson has to play center. Doesn't go well. Didn't go well pretty much for anybody for Auburn in that first month of the season on offense. He gets hurt, he's out for the year. He's back, and with Avery Jones locked in at center, it looks like. And then they're developing Connor Lou, the new uh the freshman um that was one of the one of the best interior linemen in the country coming out of high school. With that, Johnson has we've talked about this a little bit. Johnson may have a little bit more ability to kind of play somewhere else. Guard is one of those spots. Uh, also at center, uh, I mean Auburn's third third offense had a walk on Court Bradley Auburn High uh, at a uh, at center. So, yeah, Tate Johnson. Here's a quote from Hugh Freeze about Tate Johnson. He said, Tate Johnson has been an incredible leader in that room. I'm not ready to say that he's standing out over anyone else. I just know there's an expectation that we're trying to set, and he wants to drive the train for that expectation. It matters to him. Wearing Auburn on his chest means something, and you can't have enough of those guys. So Seattle out to Tate Johnson. You know, guy gets hurt as a center, as a starting center. Comes back, new staff, new everything. Auburn goes in and gets a number one you know, transfer a prospect at center to come in and be their guy and Tate Johnson getting an opportunity elsewhere and sounds like he's making the most of it. Keep an eye on him. Keep an eye on Miller potentially playing some guard as well. I think those guard competitions can be really, really interesting to follow um here moving forward. And like I said, don't get hung up on the depth chart too much. Don't get hung up on who and where and what at this it's early. It's so very early. We're you know, a little less than six months away from the start of the season. But with those tackle spots and that center spot looking pretty much locked down, I think a lot of that intrigue is going to be happening at the guard spots and just who fits best where and what. And the fact that Auburn's even moving some guys around to try to, you know, provide some competition and depth there, I think is pretty telling. So like we said like we said, Painter, that, that line is that line is gonna be where a lot of like how much better does Auburn get this season? Under this new staff, a lot's going to hinge on how much that line improves with all the new faces. Um, but uh, so far, pretty good reviews early on from from the offensive line perspective.
1: Only going up, baby.
0: Only going up. Only room ahead. Not much room to go lower on that on that side of the ball when it comes to the offensive line. Um, some other quick observations. I saw Rivaldo Fairweather and Micah riley Ducker both kick out to wide receiver a decent bit Rivaldo Fairweather man I wrote about it a couple weeks ago and he continues to stand out to me so much right it's because he just moves differently than everybody else in the tight end position and it looks like a wide receiver at times like you put him next to Cameron Brown or Nick Martin and you're like yep that's where that's where he belongs right there so very interesting kind of um you know maybe in a set where you have two tight ends on the field but if one of them's Rivaldo Fairweather you know, it's, it looks like, it looks completely different because he can be like a wide receiver. Nick Marner getting a lot of a lot of good early reps as a transfer, uh, and uh, also wanted to shout out uh, Brian Batty getting some uh, first team reps as well, rotating. I think him, think and Jarquez Hunter are going to be a really good one two punch, and then then you've got Demari Austin uh, continuing to develop, and then Jeremiah Cobb bringing it in. Auburn looks pretty fine there at the running back spot. Quarterbacks, T.J. Finley was the number one quarterback in the drills that we saw. He also threw the ball better, um, just from what I what I got to, got to watch. Um, had some really good deep throws, uh, including a big one to Cantor Brown. Robbie Ashford still going to be a work in progress, I think, throwing the ball. There are some times where he looks at it and looks good. There are some times where it's a little shaky and guys are having to kind of adjust and, and go you know dive and, and do some things. But – that's the thing it's early uh and we all know what Ashford's capable of doing with his legs and so yeah first practice we saw Ashford then Finley this practice Finley then Ashford I think you're going to get a lot of that in the spring and when A Day, which they announced the time is going to be at one o'clock uh on the 8th I think A Day, I think you're going to see a lot of that as well I think you're going to see a lot of movement I think you're going to see a lot of rotation and also don't count out a guy like t- uh like uh like Holden Garner. Holden Garner also had some pretty good throws. But it has seemed like the guys with the experience are, are rotating out of one and two. Um, so you'll see videos. You'll see um, reports and things about Finley and, and Ashford, Ashford, and Finley. I'll say this. Don't count T.J. Finley out of anything. Um, even though, you know, he did he did uh, take some time away from the team last year. And Robbie Ashford is a returning star. And also plenty of time for Robbie Ashford. Um, to continue to develop and get better, uh, throwing the ball under this staff because, like I said, you know what this dude can do with with his legs, and that that is a real weapon.
1: I sort of sheepishly suggested, and like even I felt silly bringing it up because of I, I think the information we took into spring camp, but. Uh, To Dave and Pablo, I suggested, like, what if TJ Finley just looks better in the spring? It's not as if TJ Finley hasn't already outperformed Robbie Astrid in a QB race before. And, you know, I don't—is that even worth spending time exploring right now because it's so early and there's some unknown factors involved in this QB search?
0: I I think the big thing is I think everyone's going to get nearly an equal chance in reps and looks, and it's just— I think they're going to evaluate the position as a whole coming out of spring ball as opposed to, like, this guy, this guy, and this guy. And why I say that is this, is, like, do they feel confident coming out of spring and saying, hey, do we need to go get another guy? Do we need to go get another guy in the portal in May? Who's going to be available? What what is what does that kind of possibility look like? We don't know yet. We don't know until they actually start filing into the portal what that, what that will be. But, yeah, man, like I'm, I'm saying – Finley, for his you know some of his struggles he's had at Auburn, I will say throwing the ball and in the pocket and do some, doing some of the stuff that we've seen freeze and Montgomery's offenses do. It wouldn't be surprising if he does look better at times there than a guy like Robbie Ashford who is such a dynamic player who did play through a lot of injury who missed a, you know had a lot of time away from football uh, or active competition I should say because he was on the sidelines at Oregon and He's had injuries. That he looks better than him in some some capacity at times. So I do think this is going to be kind of a back and forth thing. And when Auburn comes out of spring ball, I think it's going to be more of like, okay, with these two guys, and then Holden Garner being being another one. You bring in Hank Brown. Do we feel confident? Like, do we need anybody else? And what are those guys going to do? But I like I like I like uh, I like that that take you had there. Like I don't I don't think people have kind of. Thought enough about the potential of T.J. Finley with a clean slate, with a new staff, looking better than people probably thought uh, from what he, they saw in the in the years under Harson, for sure. Uh, defensive side of the ball, uh, real quick. Uh, some young guys on the field with the first and second team early that caught my eye: Keldrick Falk at the Jack position, Robert Woodard uh, at linebacker. Um, going on down. Brenton Williams getting some work at Jack. I like Kay Kane Lee, we've talked about him a lot because he's going to get a lot of opportunities at, at a true corner. Um, I like Wilkie Denod, uh, the freshman coming in. He he looked really good in drills, just from my untrained perspective. Um, so I mean, there's a there there's a number of guys at that on the defensive front, and then some of the guys in the back of it. Um, are starting to turn heads and make moves. There's just a lot of mixing and matching. Like you know, for example, when we watched the walkthrough, DJ James played corner and Donovan Coffin played, or I'm sorry, Donovan Coffin played star, which pushed um, Keontae Scott to a corner spot, which we've talked about as a as a possibility. Um, so when, and I wrote about it recently, when Zach Etheridge says he has one A and one B at um, star, that's this is what that looks like. You see a lot of Scott in week one. Now you see at the beginning of week two a lot of Kaufman. That's kind of what what, what happened. So don't get hung up on it too, too much. But I will say the freshmen and some of these younger guys, you know, they're going to be opportunities. We know that guys like Marcus Harris and Nehemiah Pritchett and DJ James and Jalen Simpson, we know those guys are going to be really heavily involved in this in this defense this year, but – so a lot of other spots that are up for grabs and some of that new blood can really really take take advantage of it uh, early on I think it's going to be a big thing for them. Um another thing, another another observation. Alex McPherson kicks the absolute crap out of the ball, man. I mean, it is a thumping noise. Not to say that the Carlsons didn't, but it was just different. It was just different because they were big and they had that nice swing and smooth This dude tries to deflate the ball every time he hits it, Uh, and so big, you know, real powerful swing and kick. Um, you can hear it across the (laughs) across the practice fields whenever he hits the hits it. Had a couple, I think I saw, I know one was over fifty that he hit. Might have had another over fifty that he hit. But McPherson looks like ten. Oscar Chapman back at holder again. Um, you've also got. Uh, Jekyll Qualabon back at long snapper. So that special teams unit looks pretty locked in. I think more of the entry is going to come at the returner spots. Finally, before we go, a couple of things from from Hugh Freeze uh, I wanted to point out. Number one, um, he talked about the pace of play, and he said something that I really, really liked about that. He's talking about, you know, the whole thing about the clock continuing to run after first downs like it does in the like the NFL. Some of these approved rule, you know, these suggested rule changes and all that that the NCA's going through and the coaches are. He said, like, oh, it's going to eliminate six to eight plays a game, possibly. So it shouldn't affect it terribly. But he said, you know, I've always been one that says the people that we should uh, be truly trying to protect in the length of games are the people in the stadium. Not the people who are at home watching on TV. He's like, look, I get it. You're watching on TV, but you you can do whatever you want. Like for the people in the stadium, he's like, we're just sitting, you know, everybody's sitting there doing nothing uh, while, you know, the commercials are going on um, or like a long TV timeout or something like that. And so he wants to speed up the game in favor of, you know, doing something that goes away. From the uh, not the end game experience, but you know, maybe maybe doesn't maybe not the best for TV. He said, "I never understood why we don't just try to on the front end maybe adopt what every other sport is doing now, which is picture in picture commercials, and let's just keep playing." It's a very admirable stance for you, uh, Hugh, uh, but I don't think, considering how much TV money runs this sport, that the TV (laughs) that the TV people are not going to get their way. I think they would much rather screw over the p- fans in the stands and the people who are literally playing the game than they are the TV experience. And it sucks, but I'm at least glad there's a dissenting voice in that that, you know, and I'm sure others have that as well, but I thought that was a really good point from him. I don't think we I don't think we think of college football enough in the experience of the fans in the, in the stadium. And I get it. Like there're going to be hundreds of thousands, even millions of people watching a watching a college football game and only 87,000 get to do it for you know in jordan Hair, But you need to kind of treat them as the ones that are more important than, than the ones who are sitting down at, at, at the house getting a beverage, as, as Free said. Also, this is just a side note from me. When we say we need to take care of the fans, it needs to be more about the fans in the stadium, first and foremost. I agree. Also, it needs to be for the students, first and foremost. Let's keep that in mind. When we talk about the game day experience, Let's maximize it for the students. Um, sometimes that means you're going to probably have to listen to some songs in the pregame that you don't know and you don't understand, and I don't either. But that's what the kids are listening to, and that's what you need to support. That
1: we're getting there. Plenty of stuff that I'm unfamiliar with anymore.
0: Oh, I I started so I started like looking up the ones they were playing in, um, the ones they were playing in in practice on. Monday and it's like I feel like okay I don't I don't listen to rap hardly at all um but being somebody who covers college sports and like I have you know younger siblings who listen to rap and and it, I I think I know of pretty much most of the names that I see that pop up like I might not know who they are but I at least have heard of them Bro there were some there were some that I that I found on a little Shazam app on my phone i'm on, on like i have never heard of any of these people and i just felt like i was i was like drowning out there so i'm getting old we're getting old we're, we're just kind of have to embrace it and deal with it uh but you know let the kids play their play their music that's 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 my big that's my big in-game experience you go to georgia you go to georgia their pre-game environment or their in-game environment too and just the songs that they play and they get i mean that that student section just gets jacked the whole game for it It matters. It matters. I I think it makes it cooler, and it helps that Georgia that they can just look at like all these Atlanta artists and say, "Yep, yep, yep, we got all you." Um, I know Auburn doesn't have that kind of same cultural, uh, at least geographical uh, sense of that, but come on, it's for the kids, especially the players. Also, don't expect Hugh Freeze to makes make a lot of uh, fuss about whoever Auburn gets in the SEC scheduling format. We already know that Nick Saban's already raised a a little bit of a hubbub about it. He's probably not going to be that. He said, I'm kind of the mindset, if I can't control it, it's probably not worth me worrying about. Well, if we all just just did that for everything, that would be nice. I feel like I need to do a better job of that in my everyday life. Uh, But he's pointing out that he said, if you ask me after they decided on the format, I could probably tell you who I'd like for our crossovers to be, and it's probably not going to be those, so it's really not me worth worrying about it. Pretty good, pretty good take. I think they know without a shadow of a doubt they're going to play Alabama, Georgia. So it's just like,
1: yeah, it's going to be tough. Just, so, you know. and
0: the other thing is, is like, and the other thing is, is that you, if you don't play, like you play them every two years now, anyway. There's no more like, mm,
1: it's not well, gonna be we don't eight years or whatever.
0: Yeah, it's like Alabama doesn't play Georgia every year, so it's like, oh, well, maybe they'll play again in eight years. No, it's like they'll get them every two, so it
1: it'll even out. It'll even out. I, the uh, shout out to that's a that's a good little mantra he he said. Yeah,
0: Hugh had a that's a good one. If it, if you can't control it, it's probably not worth me worrying about. I I feel like I feel like we all need to we all need to kind of lean on that in our everyday life. Finally, uh, Hugh uh, ended his press conference with a, a message of congratulations to the basketball team. We've talked about that. We're talking about Birmingham, he thinks that they can go on a run, which is what a good. Co coach would say, but he also shouted out, and we need to shout out here Johnny Harris and the Auburn women's basketball team making the WNIT. So, the first time in four years, Auburn men and women will both be playing uh, postseason basketball at the same time. I believe Auburn uh, women play Tulane at home, and I believe that game is on Wednesday or I'm sorry, Friday night. Why I'm getting it all wrong. Friday night, they play in the WNIT um at seven o'clock uh so auburn just by the nature of them playing in the toughest conference in 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 women's college basketball and making an improvement making a jump this year they are going to be able to take that step forward and so they only won two games in year one under uh, under harris in the sec they moved that up to five this year obviously the, the 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 last year of of coach flo they didn't win a game at all in SEC play so they're trending in the right direction they're going to get some nit um and so a really really good um reward for this women's team it's a it's it's more basketball you know even if it's just one or two games it's more basketball and um so shout out to uh shout out to coach Jay and uh, and and the auburn ladies for making the wnit um, and we'll see if that will continue to help them build moving forward a program that's trying to be more competitive uh, in what is I mean just a nasty <laughs> conference for college basketball. Uh, when I look up and see that South Carolina still hasn't lost yet, it's just good luck everyone else. <laughs> good luck um, So but yeah, shout out to shout out to the uh, to the Auburn women for making it to the WNIT. And uh, if you're in the area on Friday, go out to the game. Auburn doesn't play on Friday. You know, if Auburn wins wins on Thursday, the men, they don't play on Friday. So y'all go out there and and uh, and watch watch the Tigers play. All right. There's a lot, but I think that's it. Painter. I'm done. Final thoughts. What
1: are you going to eat in Birmingham?
0: You know, somebody asked me that today and it was just like, I've been there so much like it's not that special question mark i mean there's some good spots in birmingham trader joe's uh yeah we are staying downtown we're staying kind of near the arena so trader joe's i don't even know where is the trader joe's is at the summit right
1: Uh, i believe so it's off 280
0: yeah yeah i think it's at the summit i don't know i might get in that situation i do say it's like nashville was like this as well and we carpooled up there it's like you get to these tournament sites and you're just like, I don't want to, I don't want to drive. I don't want to go anywhere. I just want to stay. I just want to stay close to here. So I feel like I'm going to be doing that again, by the way, before we go shout out to the taco truck in front of, uh, in front of my, uh, hotel in Nashville. It felt like it was sent from the heavens. Uh, it was a pretty good quesadilla. You can it's hard to get a high quality steak quesadilla after, after 9 PM. And, uh, these, these fellows delivered. So shout out to y'all.